0: You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission? To keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the
1: Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca.
0: That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. Follow us all over social media at Golf Unfiltered, and you can send us an email, golfunfiltered at gmail.com. This is episode 204, folks, and today we welcome Mr. Tomo Bystead from TaylorMade Golf to talk a little bit about the Gapper hybrids that they have been. Uh, They're on the market now for, I believe, about eight months, and so Tomo and I go into a lot of detail about those clubs. But before I go any further... I have to say hello to all our friends that help make the podcast possible, including our friends over at HackersParadise.com, Had the opportunity to go out to dinner with JB and his wife Morgan the other day, as well as our good friend Michael Verska, who's been on the podcast a couple times. Uh, hello to all of you who are listening to this episode on the Golf Unfiltered Podcast RSS feed or the THP feed, because we are simulcast on both networks. Hello to our friends over at Cleveland and Strixon Golf. As you guys know, I am playing their equipment throughout the year. Haven't had the chance to go out uh, as of late. It's been a couple weeks now. We've gotten a ton of rain in the Chicagoland area. Last week, actually, as of the time of this recording, we had about six inches of rain. My old house and my old basement did not like that very much. We have to get that taken care of. Hello to our friends as well over to BudgetGolf.com. Go out and check out all the great deals they have every single day on BudgetGolf.com. Hello to the person who just honked outside my window. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, Budget Golf and the Hackers Paradise just had a fantastic event. They do this every year for the past three years now, I believe, where uh, two lucky contestants uh, who are forum members over at the Hackers Paradise get to go to the Budget Golf warehouse in Joliet. They get to run around like mad men in this case. And uh, if you remember the old supermarket sweep game show, Basically, they do a very similar game show over in that warehouse in Joliet, Illinois, and they have the opportunity to just basically grab a bunch of stuff off this massive warehouse, uh, off the shelves in this massive warehouse, and there's a winner, ultimately, and this guy gets to keep everything. So you go out to hackersparadise.com and check out the live feed from that. There's a recording up there now. You're going to be able to check out the forums as well. I feel like I'm jumping around all over the place here, but it's just been an exciting week. For budget golf and the hackers paradise and it was great to talk to jb uh, a little bit about that over at dinner um also before we get to today's episode with uh, tomo i also want to talk a little bit about just some other stuff that's going on in in the golf atmosphere here and i feel like i haven't done that enough uh just to kind of share a couple opinions on a few things that are going on um one thing I did want to talk a little bit about was I understand that uh, PXG actually just came out with a new set of irons. I'm going to make sure I get the name right here. Uh, forgive me. It's their new 0211 irons. And what's interesting about these irons is if you were to go to... I'm actually looking at Forbes' website right now. If you look at these irons, you'll notice, that, you'll notice two things. One, the most obvious, is that these irons do not have the trademark uh, screw weights around the perimeter of the clubhead. The other thing you're probably going to notice is they look really damn similar to a few ping models that are out there. There's no mistake that there's similarities between the two. I'm not saying one is copying the other. I know I saw a few people on social making that claim. Uh, That's just not the case. Uh, What you do know, though, is that, if you remember from the history of the PXG as a company, uh, a few ping engineers actually went over to PXG, or I guess I should say PXG, grabbed a few ping engineers, uh, and they work for the company now. And so there might be a little correlation there, I'm I'm sure that there is, and people who are much smarter at this than I am could probably uh, chime in on that. But what's also interesting about this is the cost of these new 0211 irons. They're going to run for a set of eight irons around $1,600, still a little bit on the high side for irons, but certainly nothing like the $3,000 that you have to pay or somewhere in that ballpark for the previous versions uh, set out by PXG. Why are they doing that? Well, as we were talking on social not too long ago, they want to grab a little bit of the market share for irons in the industry. Now, when PXG first came out, Bob Parsons, guy that helped start GoDaddy, a few other companies, had honcho over at PXG, made no qualms about what he was doing and what demographic he wanted to reach out to. And he wanted to be viewed, or he wanted PXG to be viewed, as a luxury brand. He he, he made no secret out of that. People had different opinions on whether or not that was a good idea, myself included. I know, and we all know, that golf typically caters to a specific demographic. I'm not saying anything new here. For the most part, in order to play the game, you need to make a certain amount of money, you need to have some certain socioeconomic status, and unfortunately, even in some areas of the country still, you need to even be, possibly be a particular gender and color in order to get onto a golf course. Thankfully, that is the number of courses like that are diminishing. Considerably. As it pertains to what types of products you want to sell, and let's just talk about any industry, not just golf, clearly there are always going to be high-end versions of whatever product you're selling all the way down to the lower-end, entry-level products. Think about it in terms of cars, basically any product you can think of. With golf, this is certainly not something that's new. There are very high-end brands all over the place. That doesn't mean that I understand it anymore. And that's especially true from a sustainability standpoint. Now, clearly, Bob Parsons has a lot of cash. (laughs) I don't think, I mean, that's another non-secret. And when I posed this question on social media, whether or not that PXG is sustainable, that's all I wrote, I got some mixed reaction from that. People tend to go one way or the other. There's really no gray area or middle ground when it comes to PXG. A couple of replies that I got that I found to be pretty funny and by all means accurate was that they're going to be sustainable as long as Bob Parsons wants them to be sustainable. That's probably true. But a good handful of other responses, I would say actually the majority of responses, said, you know what, no, they're they're probably not very sustainable and this move to kind of filter back down into the the major demographic in terms of cash available to grab some of that market share, I think that's telling us a little bit something. I don't know if the original model was working as well as it, it was originally intended to work, or at least what they expected. Now, I'm sure somebody listening to this is going to send me an email or or something on social to let me know, hey, you know, well, you haven't seen the figures or the sales figures for PXG. You're right, I haven't. What I am seeing, though, is behaviors like a driver not too long ago that came out that was a lower price driver. Maybe trying to grab some of that market share. And now, the 0211 irons. So, I want to talk a little bit more about this as well. This goes into even last week's conversation, uh, at least the the intro when we were talking a little bit more about just, you know, marketing and whether or not we feel that marketing is truthful in golf, this tends to continue to come up over and over again, at least in the emails I receive and people on social. So let me know your thoughts on that as well. Let me know what you think about this whole element of higher-end priced gloves because, again, PXG is not the only brand that does that. There are other very well-known brands that have very high-end stuff. Let me know what you think about that. You know how to reach out to us on social at Golf Unfiltered. Golf Unfiltered at gmail.com is the email address. All right. Now we're getting back to our guest for today, Mr. Tomo Byestat. He is from TaylorMade Golf. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Gapper hybrids. Uh, we're going to talk about how they compare to other hybrids on the market. We're going to talk about what, whether or not you need one in your bag. And I think after listening to today's conversation, you're probably going to give it some thought. So sit back, relax. We'll be right back after a short break.
1: Hi, this is Bill Hobson from the Four Golfers Network podcast. And as you and I enjoy this episode of Golf Unfiltered with my friend Adam, I'm reminded of an indisputable reality. We, as golfers, are nuts. We chase a small ball around the planet, spending thousands of dollars in the effort to get that ball into a tiny hole. We then yell at the ball and curse it when it doesn't listen, even though it can't listen, it's a ball. This insanity is all part of the magic of the game and it's what we celebrate on the Four Golfers Network podcast every Monday when a fresh episode comes your way on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, you know, all the places. So after you finish listening to Adam today, I'd love to have you check out the Four Golfers Network podcast, that's F-O-R-E, where we celebrate the game with top name guests and an exploration of the things about golf that both drive us crazy and bring us back for more. I stink! The ball is just sitting there, and I can't hit it!
0: And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As I mentioned at the top of the show, very excited to welcome Mr. Tomo Bystett. He is the Senior Director of Product Creation over at TaylorMade Golf. Tomo, thanks for taking some time on uh, your busy schedule to talk a little bit about uh, the gapper that we're going to get into today.
1: Absolutely, Adam. It's great to, uh, great to be on the show.
0: So, for the listeners who might not be familiar with your name, why don't you give us a little bit of background on your years at TaylorMade, what you do out there, and how you got involved with the company.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I've been a, I've been a golfer since uh, I was a kid, probably like a lot of the, a lot of the guys in, in the Hacks Paradise, you know, we've played probably with our dads or our granddads, and that's kind of how I got into the game as well, and, um, you know, it was always a hobby since I was about 10 or 12, and so played so played the game, um, never really had any you know intentions of getting into it as a job, um, and obviously when you go to career fairs and stuff at college, that's not really an option to go into golf, so you kind of look at other jobs, and I, I got lucky, honestly, you know, I I, um, I actually just bumped into some people at a golf tournament that worked in the golf industry, and kind of one thing led to another, and before I knew it, I was working um, working at uh, a cushion, actually, it was my first job in golf, mm-hmm and worked there from 2004 to 2006, and I was in Japan, actually. i, I lived all over the world, so I uh, kind of grew up in Europe and lived in Japan and, and other places, but I worked in Japan for a couple of years. Uh, got my first uh, break at TaylorMade. got into TaylorMade in 2006. It hmm. was um, like a long time ago, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, that's kind of aging me right there, but, uh, yeah, I've been with TaylorMade now for... Um, you know, almost 14 years, it's been um, great, right? Obviously, I've been, my first job was actually in Australia. So I was doing product and marketing there um, for a couple of years uh, as my first gig with tailormade and that was really cool. I, I had to learn a new brand, had to learn a new market. Uh, actually, I had to learn a new category because I was also doing apparel and footwear back in those days, and, and I had to learn kind of how to sell those and how to market those products. And then I um, ended up living in Hong Kong and serving the Asia market for tailor-made um, equipment for uh, about five years until about 2013. And mm-hmm. then in 2013, I finally got kind of the, uh, the call-up to come work at the headquarter here in Carlsbad. And we, uh, I had great relationships with the whole product creation crew and the R&D crew here. And um, I'd kind of been nagging them for, uh, for a job over here because <laughs> I, I wanted to get into the role of making products, right? That was
2: mm-hmm.
1: ultimately my goal. And, uh, yeah, and so one, kind of one thing led to another. I got an opportunity to start working in irons back in 2013. Uh, and really so, sort of like my first product that I worked on was the uh, SLDR iron that I worked on, uh, a product that probably a lot of you guys uh, have heard over and played, which is the Tor-Preferred UDI. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the UDI was actually kind of my first uh, start to finish. It was a bit of a skunkworks project at the time. where It was a little bit out of the mainstream. and I was kind of working just with one engineer and we were kind of doing our own thing and it was really fun and still to this day, it's one of those products that, uh, I, you know, I think came out really awesome and, mm-hmm. and, again, still still played on tour by a lot of guys. So, um, But, yeah, through the irons role, you know, I worked on a lot of great irons, uh, worked on, on all the RSI products. Um, I think the one that most people will know me for is working on the P790. Yep. Um, that was kind of, uh, I would say... The, the, you know, the biggest breakthrough uh, of my career in irons was, was working on that product in terms of just exceeding expectations and, and mm-hmm. putting together a package I think that was pretty groundbreaking for the industry. So that was cool. And then pretty much right after I finished B790, um, ended up getting um, an opportunity to, to, to head up the Metalwoods team. So currently working on Metalwoods, so I've been working on that for about a year and a half, a little bit more,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: obviously M5 and 6. And... Gapper, um just launched the mini driver as well, the original one. So it's been fun and obviously now working on, on future products. So that's so kind of my journey in a nutshell.
0: You've been a busy guy. You've seen you've seen a <laughs> lot of things. You've done a lot you've been a lot of places and it's great to hear too. And and a lot of the products that you just named in your in your career, you know, obviously a lot of players listening to this have them in their bag. I've had the opportunity to try many of them and they're all fantastic. Um, but what's interesting okay. is you you transitioned from Irons to metal woods, And that just segues really nicely because I'm a professional Tomo. I can segue <laughs> into this conversation about the Gapper. And so yep. um, now the Gapper has been around for, it's been released for a little while now. But what I really would like to talk to you a little bit about is just, pun intended, where it fits in the the golf bag. And my understanding, yep. let me know if I'm wrong. Is that as the name implies, it literally fills the gap between your longest iron and your shortest metal
1: wood? Yeah, exactly right. You know, the, the gap of product. you know, we, um, when people ask sort of where it came from, and we've been talking about, we've, we've been, we had been talking about kind of a reinvention of this category, I would say, for um, more than three years, maybe four years, um, already ago. We started talking about this here at TailorMade, and we, and we really looked at we started seeing trends both in the marketplace with consumers and also out on tour with, you know, the traditional hybrid was kind of losing some steam. And part of it was, there was a little bit of a lack of innovation in that category. You know, Mm -hmm. if you think about hybrids, how they were in sort of 2016, 2015, and then compare those hybrids that were around in 2007, 2008, they weren't that really that different. I mean, it's really the same kind of idea just kind of recycled with new names. And, And we felt like, Innovation had moved so far in other categories, the drivers, fairwoods, with irons, and, and why wasn't kind of innovation taking over that the, the hybrid and rescue space? So we started looking at that, and, and what we noticed was part of the reason was with that kind of evolution of iron technology and these high CUR faces, these low-CG multi-material constructions, the iron performance was just leapfrogging the performance of rescues in, ter- in terms of both in terms of distance, uh, accuracy, but also even – how easy they were to hit. Right. Mm-hmm, so right. seeing that shift, especially, I mean, we talked about UDI a little bit, the UDI products was one of those products where people were like, well, I can hit this as far as a rescue and I can swing it like an iron. So I really, I'm not losing anything by playing this. And, and maybe the only thing you gave up, maybe was it's not as good out of the rough potentially, but that was, you know, trade off that a lot of people were willing to make. And, and because of that, I think a lot of tour players started switching out of traditional hybrids into these kind of driving irons, long iron type clubs. And right. So that really, I would say, was the birth of that. And then, the, the, you know, the part that you alluded to, which was kind of this idea that there's a gap in the bag. Um, one thing we'd seen obviously was that you know people were struggling with long irons. That's not news to anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Long irons is hard to hit in general. Right. Um, and then I think high loss lofted fairwoods can be good for some players they're typically a little harder to control from a, like a distance control standpoint. If you try to hit into a green, you know, how, how accurately can you really predict your seven wood or your nine wood distance? It's kind of hard to do for a lot of players. I know I can't uh, hit one at all. And so having clubs that were sort of in this in-between space, uh, is good. And I think, again, those traditional hybrids is an option, obviously, but mm-hmm. they're pretty one dimensional. It's like you either like that kind of shape and how they perform or you don't, you know, and right. there really wasn't any other options. So, That's really how the gapper idea got started of offering a golfer different ways of filling that gap in the bag of, do you like more like an iron shape? Do you like more like a rescue hybrid shape? Somewhere in between, like a mid? Uh, And also trajectory-wise, are you more of a low trajectory? you like to hit it off the tee, maybe a little more penetrating? Or do you like to get it up in the air and try to land soft on the green? So there was a lot of those kinds of thoughts that led to the creation of Gapper.
0: And those that actually rings true to me uh because I am one of those people that prefer the look of an iron shape compared to a hybrid and uh, as you touched on tomo uh gabber comes in three different head shapes if i understand correctly and they and they are mm-hmm. basically uh taking into account not only the the preference from a appearance standpoint but also as you pointed out the trajectory could you talk a little bit about mm-hmm. those options
1: yeah so you know we we if you kind of look at the from kind of low to high and, and look at that progression the, the low product is really a driving iron mm-hmm. and it's it's we wanted to kind of bring in the idea of um. you know something that you could swing just like an iron you, you can hit down the ball you you kind of have that typical iron swing you can take a divot with this club um, but it should have some of the performance elements of really more of a hybrid type club meaning uh, hollow body construction really low CG a little shallower face profile uh, a little wider sole than a typical iron. Those kinds of things to make it a little bit easier to play. But still, when you look at it from the address position, it should look really traditional and not a lot of offset. If you've seen that club, it's pretty low offset. Uh, and that's the club that I would say we've had most success with on tour with guys uh, putting it in play on courses where they need accuracy off the tee and want to hit the ball low, such as at the Open Championship last year when we had, I believe, we had 11 of those in play at that event. So hmm. uh, we definitely... You know, that's, that's kind of the low. And then you you go all the way to the high, you get the other side of, of the spectrum. That's really more typical hybrid player. Now we're adding a couple of key technologies in here. We're, we're adding, first of all, uh, our loft sleeve system. So the FCT, we, we've called it in the past, which is essentially a way to adjust your loft on the club um, and also the lie angle. So give, gives people some options there. Do you want to hit a little higher? And maybe fine-tune your gaps. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you're... Your, Three hybrid goes a little bit too far. Your four is a little too short. Somewhere in between you can do that, Uh, things like that, Um, Mm -hmm. and more traditional hybrid shape. Again, we're we're creating these all to be super fast COR. We're trying to make them as low CG as we possibly can to make them easy to hit off the deck, easy to hit off bad lives. Um, And then really, I would say the final piece that we wanted to do is give them more of an iron solid like a kind of a solid iron feel. So we use speed foam that we used in the P seven nineties on all these clubs mm-hmm. to give it that really solid feel that also enables us to go a little thinner on the faces to, to get all that ball speed out of it. So uh, so that was kind of the book ends of the gap. And then finally in the mid, we kind of took best of both worlds. We made that kind of lower profile, slightly bigger head profile of the from the high, we took those elements and then we married into into a club that actually had offset with a flat face, no bulge and roll. Uh, and made it into an iron. Again, they could swing like an iron, but would give you more of a hybrid type performance. And so that, that club I would say has been, um, I would say the cult favorite of the, of the three clubs. One of the clubs that we did, weren't sure how it was going to sell. The other two, I think kind of self categorize themselves into kind of better players for the low. And there's more of the everyday player for the high. This mid was kind of this unknown. And what's been really cool is just seeing it take off. I and mean, that, that that's done really well for us. and, and, uh, we've actually had a bunch of them play on tour as well. So that's been, that's been really great to see.
0: That's really interesting. And I know that speed foam was a big part of, you know, getting the ball speeds up in all three of these, uh, unique shapes that you've got with the gapper. But, uh, w- when you say that the mid was kind of the surprise of the three, uh, what has been mm-hmm. some of the feedback that you've received on that mid, uh, option?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the nice things about the mid is, um, when you're fitting somebody instead of irons, and, I, and I've talked to a lot of fitters about this, both uh, within uh, the tailor mid team and also external fitters from, you know, guys from um, some of these fitting specialists like uh, a cool clubs or a club champion, mm-hmm. at true spec golf, and just ask those guys, of, you know, you know, what's working, what's not working. And I, I you know, cause we want to learn too. We want to make better products in the future. So we want to get as much feedback as we can. And one of the things I've all, I've heard from a lot of people is that the mid is a fantastic fitting club because, it's one of those clubs where you get a player in the nets and you're hitting, you're trying to fit and you start realizing that, you know, after a five iron, they really can't make consistent content. They can't hit the ball high enough. And you can actually build a mid in a few different ways. You can build it like a traditional hybrid length, which is sort of what it's built for, mm-hmm. or you can go a little shorter and build it more like an iron. And then you have an option to make it more upright using the, the loft sleeve. So, you know, it's, it's been great to see, you know, different people use it uh, in different ways. And, out on tour, we got, we had a couple of guys use it um, in the last few weeks as well. So it's kind of nice to see um, it, it going out there. And, and, and I would say the feedback we've had on performance is, first of all, it's really easy to play. Mm-hmm. It goes really high, uh, and it's long. I mean, the one of the things that uh, surprised people is, is that they can hit it as far as, as any kind of wood-style hybrid, even though it comes with a little shorter shaft, potentially. So hmm. you, you don't sacrifice in distance by kind of getting that extra control. And, and a lot of people especially on the more amateur side of the spectrum struggle with having command of a lot of different types of swings, right? You have right. a driver's swing, you have an iron swing, you might have a fairwood swing, but then you got this third swing for the hybrids or, you know, whatever, fourth swing. Right. That's really hard for a lot of people. So being able to put a club in the bag there that really is just an extension of your iron set, um, as, but gives you kind of hybrid like performance is really what's I think what's been successful for this product.
0: And, you know, you just touched on something that's so important that I think listeners really need to pay attention to is that the different types of swings that could live within your, your golf bag. You know, we've only got, you know, the 14 clubs or 13 minus the putter, of course. And mm-hmm. you have to make sure that, you know, why would you make the game more difficult for yourself? You know, so you definitely want right. to, yeah. to have that extension. I like the way that you put that, you know, what's interesting Tomo is, you know, I'm sure that this happens a lot on tour where we'll, guys will go ahead and switch in and out different gappers, for example, depending on the conditions and the courses they're going to play. Do you see that among amateur players, too?
1: Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, not, probably not as much because just simply because sure. people probably don't have, you know, the money just to buy a bunch of different clubs that they would play occasionally. Sure, you know? sure. um. Uh, but you know, no especially I mean, when you when when I talk to people uh, here at TaylorMade who are really avid players, there's a lot of great players here. And you know, if you're scratch golfer, you're probably the 40th best player at TaylorMade. But oh, wow, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of great players here. So, but you know, talking to a lot of those guys and, and asking them about how they're using uh, different clubs, and especially with Gapper, uh, what's interesting is a lot of them have multiple Gappers in the back and different ones, right? So some mm-hmm. of them have. Uh, a three in the mid and a four in the sorry a three in the high and a four in the mid for example so one to use more as a traditional hybrid maybe more of a tee club the other one is more of again like an iron um, and then for different courses uh, the low comes out on courses where they need to use it more off the tee that kind of thing mm-hmm. I'm definitely seeing that more and more and I think uh, but more more importantly I think we, you know a lot of people have big gaps between their shortest uh, metal wood and their uh, longest playable iron. And, um, and I would say for a lot of people, that's the six iron, maybe the five iron. Usually people don't hit irons longer than that very well. Mm-hmm. So you potentially have a gap between, you know, a six iron and a, and let's call it the three wood or five wood, or you could have a, probably a couple of gappers, right? You could have a three gapper and a four gapper or a two and a four or a two and a three. And there's a lot of options there. And, I, and I've seen that work for a lot of people where they, where they choose different ones, again, depending on the, on the use case.
0: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and I know that the gappers, depending on whichever preference you like, high, medium, or low, come in different lofts. For example, the high comes in at least four different lofts. Uh, the mid Correct, and low yeah. come in three each. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe a misconception that perhaps we can clarify for the listeners is, uh, you know, one thing I've heard is that clubs like the gapper and others are almost... I don't know the right word to use here, but they're almost making a, a seven wood or a five wood beginning to become more obsolete. Is there any truth in truth to that in your mind, or is there still room for those types of clubs? And it just completely depends on the golfer.
1: You know, it, I would say it really depends on the golf, right? I've seen a lot of people who struggle with, with high loft fairwoods, but I've also seen players that can use them very successfully. And a lot of, especially, um, golfers with slower swing speeds like seniors, um, um, some ladies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look in the LPGA tour, there's a lot of seven woods out there. There's a lot of six hybrids. I mean, there's a, and you know, and those ladies can hit the ball pretty far. I mean, that they're they're mm-hmm. like relative to, to us. They're, they're long hitters. And I would say, so it's not really necessarily a, a golfer skill level thing, but I would say most people don't have, I would say the right swing, um, Automatically just hit a high lots of fairwood really well. I think you. I think it's something you have to practice. And if you hit it well, I think it's one of the easier clubs to hit because you you kind of just sweep it off the ground. It's really low CG. It kind of gets the ball in the air really easily. Um, but it's it's more 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 often than not it's a control issue. And I think,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's why you don't see a lot of seven woods on the PGA tour. I don't think most tour players can control that club very well, distance wise, and even directionally. Right. Compared to a, a longer iron. So. And, that, and that's kind of the, the gap we're trying to bridge here a little bit is the, is kind of the try to get the benefits of a high-lofted fairwood, which is the higher launch, the ball speed, the ease of play, but put it in a format that you're going to be more comfortable with um, from mm. a swing standpoint. And just looking down at the club, frankly, because, again, high-lofted fairwoods, if you're not used to playing one, they, they look a little bit odd, right? The, the head is almost circular. It's a lot of loft, big uh, belly on the leading edge, head's right. really flat. So that's, you know, for some, I mean, for some people, that that's a comfort factor, too, that it looks like you can get the ball in the air. But for some people, it's also maybe not something that you would be comfortable hitting off a tee.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that I think you hit the nail on the head there. It, it's, it, it definitely is a preference when you look down at a dress, whether or not you, oh, I expect a tee to be under that large fairway wood. And I know that there's right. all sorts of different profiles that are available. But one thing that's also interesting, especially in the high side of the gapper line, is the, the the loft uh, the higher lofts so like the 28 degree loft for example I know that a lot right. of uh, players are going down that uh, end of the spectrum as well which you alluded to and so it's almost safe to say that you can go all the way to your six iron perhaps depending on mm-hmm. whatever whatever you think is going to work best for your game is that right
1: yeah yeah exactly and I think you know back you know go rewind five six years people weren't comfortable ditching their six iron for a hybrid, but nowadays I think that's more acceptable. And I think having your first iron be a seven is not that weird, honestly. And, uh, and I would say, if you, especially if you go to Asia, uh, that's already happening over there. A lot of the sets sold are start with a six or a seven iron. So it's definitely something that people are getting more used to. And I think people are pragmatic, right? They, they just want whatever's best and easiest to play, but they don't necessarily care what it looks like or, you know, what it says on the bottom of the club is just, Oh, I can hit this one more consistently, have better rate of success with this club than this other club. And so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, we've definitely seen that trend. I mean, when, when we started offering hybrids uh, and the rescues kind of back in the early two thousands, we had a kind of a three and a two, and then we had a two, three and a four, and then a, a five crept in somewhere in 2006, seven ish, you know, and now we have it up to seven and, and obviously in the market, there's even higher loss than that, but, it's it. You you can see the trend. Is that that's where it's heading? It's people are going and they're they're playing whatever is going to be the easiest and, and best thing to play. And performance speaks for itself.
0: Yeah, and that that is interesting too. I mean, as somebody like yourself who's lived in different areas of the globe, knowing the different mentalities and and uh, perceptions even of golfers, you had just mm-hmm. mentioned that in Asia, it's a little bit more common to have uh, you know a wider range of hybrids before you get to you know the first iron. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that we're seeing that more on tour
1: as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, you know the. I would say uh, the the tour guys are a little bit of a funny funny breed as well because some of them are also very traditional, right? They, they sure. play muscle backs. They they have their old traditional set and they don't really want to change a lot of things. Uh, but we, you know, they are players who are more willing to experiment. I should say. Um, and, and, uh, you know, coincidentally enough, like the, the Korean guys, like I remember when Y Yang first came out on tour and he had success, obviously won the PGA. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I took away from him was he had, I believe he had four hybrids in the bag. Most events, he had a, he had a two through a six um, or a two through a five, depending on the event. But, you know, I, I watched him play events where he, he'd have 175 yards into the green and he would ship a little six hybrid in there. <laughs> uh, and it was wild, you know, and you'd see it. These other tour players hit like, you know, hard seven irons or something like that, and those same holes, or six irons or eight irons or whatever. And, um, it like that that's a good example of a play, you know, when, when players are kind of open to trying new things, they might find solutions that are better. And, and I think that's a little bit what's happening more with the LTJ tour. Is
2: mm-hmm. the
1: players on that tour are a little bit more open to trying different things that maybe work better for them. Um, uh, but. It's, it's yeah, it's interesting. I think I think golfers in general now that you have so much access to obviously data, launch monitor information, club fittings, things like that, um, that if something performs better, you, you're you're going to choose it. And I think the maybe the stigma of having higher loss of hybrids, things like that, is, is probably going away.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably a good thing. I know that I've benefited from them, uh, certainly in my game as well. So it's definitely uh, something to consider, listeners, yeah. if you're in the market for something uh, to kind of fill that gap as we've been talking about here. And, and listeners, once again, we're talking with Mr. Uh, Tomo Biestet. He's a Senior Director of Product Creation over at TaylorMade. Uh, Tomo, I, I have to ask you at least one question about, you sure. know, the guy that just won at Augusta. You're the first person I've spoken to from TaylorMade okay. <laughs> since Tiger Woods won. Uh, you know, I got to yeah. just know from – I imagine you guys were going crazy. Uh, walk me through just some of the emotions that you were feeling when you were watching Tiger Woods bring home his, his green jacket.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, honestly, it it's it's hard to explain because, you know, my personal journey through golf and, you know, with Tiger, I mean, he – he was, he came along at a time when I honestly, like, I wouldn't say I quit the game, but I was, I was, I was heading out. I, I, I was like finishing college and I was kind of burnt out, wasn't playing well. And then, you know, I'm watching 97 masters and it was like, who is this kid? Like it was like, he he just changed the the face of golf right there, you know? And then you like, I was just drawn to everything Tiger ever since that time. And obviously, uh, it's been a real tumultuous journey along the way. He had
2: mm-hmm. those
1: glory years in the early 2000s, played well, had multiple swing reconstructions. And then, uh, you know, he was out of the game 2009-10, came back in 12-13, played pretty good, won some events. and But you, you there was always this feeling of like, you know, the the old days are – gone you know it was it, in the back of our minds it was probably that we'd seen the best of tiger and so to see him come back um and obviously not it wasn't like an overnight thing because sure last year he had he had, he had a great year he won the tour championship so it was like the the signs were there that that obviously he, he he was uh you know on a resurgent uh form but the whole masters thing was almost surreal because i think if you said you know if Tiger wins one more event in his life, what what would you want it to be? It would be the Masters, obviously, right? Oh, absolutely, and so, absolutely, yeah. The, so it was almost like the stars aligned that, that week. And, and as the week wore on, we were like, yeah, it's looking like it. You, you always think something's going to happen, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. and Somebody's going right. to come out of nowhere and pull a uh, Charles Schwartz on and birdie the last four holes or something. And it's like, uh, it was close, whatever. But, but the fact that he pulled it off and, and, and just the whole build up to – because once he got to 17T, it was like, he's got this, you know, he's, he's going to win this tournament. And, and so, and then obviously seeing, um, just what happened on the green and 18 and his celebration. And then with his kids and, the, and his mom and everything.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and I think honestly, the, the way that, that, uh, Jim and Salda handed it, handed it, handled it in the booth as well. was amazing. They just, they didn't say anything for two minutes and they just let the whole thing play. It, it was almost like a spiritual thing for a lot of think for of like, all fans, including myself. And so, mm-hmm. You know, whether you're working or not, I don't think it made any difference. Like, we, as golf fans, were just incredibly excited for a real seminal moment in golf. And so that was, you know, and, and I think we, we all walked in here Monday, you know, high-fiving each other. And, right, and there's right. a lot of just, just celebration in general. But I think we were just happy for Tiger and the game of golf. And, you know, whatever uh, benefit we got out of it as a brand that was great and everything, but that's not why we were excited about Tiger winning.
0: You know, and and it's just, I think you, again, said it very well. I mean, as golf fans, I, I, my story is very similar to yours in terms of just getting involved in the game. And this is a guy that you and I grew up watching. We're able to see yep. him do it again. And as I know you're being modest, but as we all know, Tiger Woods is a tinkerer with his equipment, and he has mm-hmm. basically the pick of the litter when it comes to whatever he wanted to play, and he chose Taylor made And so, you know, not to be too heavy handed here, but, you know, thanks for getting him back on track. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys did it. And, you know, just thanks. Thanks a lot for, for, you know, from golf fans everywhere, especially the people listening to this. It was a treat that we never thought we'd see again. And you guys were uh, there to help him out.
1: Yeah. No, thanks. I mean, you know, honestly, it was it whenever you work at tour players and I've spent a lot of time working with tour players over the years, I spent a lot of time with Dustin and Jason and uh, a little bit with Rory now more recently as well. And, and, uh, and, Justin Rose back in the day. And, and whenever you see a bag, a, you know, a guy's bag and you see a club that you worked on that you designed in the guy's bag, it just fills you with a lot of pride. You're like, man, like he could play any clubs and he's playing the club that I worked on. It's really, it's a great feeling. You know, as a team here, we feel a lot of pride in that. Uh, but Tiger is like a whole nother level. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, the scrutiny that he has on every single minutiae of his equipment is incredible. And his level of feel uh, and picking little differences up in, in the clubs is, is obviously second to none. I mean, that's been well documented uh, over the years, but you know, being able to work with him and seeing him hit the M five driver like he did at Augusta was honestly so awesome. You know, that's a club that we worked on. We blood, sweat and tears from the whole team here and, and how it all came together, and seeing him hit draws with it, hit fades with it, and just being so in control of his driving game, which has not always been his strength. And 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 obviously his irons was another thing that, I mean, let's be honest, we got pretty lucky that we launched the iron that week that he won with it. <laughs> right. um, that was pretty cool coincidence, right? We we couldn't have scripted that any better. <laughs> right. Uh, but. But yeah, but that was a, you know that was a pro- project that I worked on before I even moved to Melo. I mean that we've been working on irons with him since we started with him in in, in the spring of two thousand seven so seventeen. So the fact that he finally switched into our iron, which honestly it looked like Mount Everest when we started, like how we're ever going to get there based on you know how picky he is with all the details and everything. Sure. But to get there and then seeing him basically play with a full bag of tailmate clubs was incredible. And, and again, like I said, I speak for the on behalf of the whole team here the R&D the designers everybody I mean that was a that was a pretty cool feeling and I, and I you know I don't want to take any credit in saying like well we helped him win but to me that that is just puts the chair on top of his victory that that he had the clubs that we worked on in the back
0: ladies and gentlemen once again that is Mr. Tomo Bias that he is the senior director of product creation over at TaylorMade Made Golf Tomo I really enjoyed speaking with you I hope we could do it again soon listeners go out and buy a gapper you're going to really benefit from it. TaylorMade.com is yeah. where you need to go. Tomo, we'll do this again soon.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. It was really fun.